back to After Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host, Sean Carey Tattoo. We're going to be talking UFC 209, Tyron Woodley versus Steven Wonderboy Thompson, and Khabib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson. And our very special guest for this UFC 209 edition of Half the Battle is the Texecutioner, James' best fight pick, Vic. Sean Carey, we're back at it again for another fight prediction. But I heard a rumor, dude, that we're going to be disagreeing on a lot of these fights. Sounds like about all of them, huh? Yeah, pretty much, That's, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have Vic. I'm, I'm gonna have Vic on my side. I, I feel like so. I'm okay. <laughs> that that's what it sounds like. And joining us, the Texecutioner, fresh off that unbelievable victory, James Vic. Welcome back to the show, man. What's up, man? Glad to be back. This is my my home podcast. Hell I'm going yeah. to do other ones. home one. I appreciate that. And dude, real quick, you know, we can talk about the flying knee. We can talk about the Darshuk. But what I want to talk about is how about your first ever UFC takedown against an All-American? Yeah, I, I can't even lie. I was super proud of that. It was like a, <laughs> a, like a uh, defining moment in my, my uh, MMA grappling life. I just, <laughs> it, was, it was very gratifying. I couldn't even lie. Like out of everything, I was probably most excited about that. Just the fact that he was, a, you know, a decorated college wrestler, and I just took him down like a baby, you know? It was just, it was nuts. It just, you know, shows you hard work, and stuff pays off. It was, and my coach, they said my coach, my wrestling coach, Greg, in the corner, like, literally went, like, ape shit when I got that takedown. <laughs> like, he was jumping up and down, screaming, like, commission had to come home and sit down. Like, he was so happy. <laughs> Dude, it's funny, because it, it looked like an upper body Greco takedown. I mean, is that what it was, or was it just simply a manhandling? I mean, no, it was it was a technical upper body, like you said, Greco. Like my arms are so long, it I don't I don't really need double du- uh, double underhooks from an over underhook. I, I can hit that on, on a lot of people just because my arms are so long, and that's actually is one of my better takedowns. And honestly, my offensive wrestling has gotten really good, and I've been working over these last few years. I've always had a good defense, but my uh, my offensive game has gotten way better. I just don't do it as much because. Honestly, some of these guys I fight are so short. Like, I, I've had to really work on a lot of – I've recently actually been doing some judo takedowns as well. I've had to – I have to really work on the upper body takedowns because I'm too tall to be shooting on these guys. I mean, these dudes are – some of these able to dribble five foot eight, you know. Me shooting a double, I could be like, what's his name, Tony, Tony Sims and get my neck caught just as easily. So if I ever go for takedowns on these guys, like, I kind of have to modify my game to a Greco style just because I'm so tall – that it's, it's always dangerous for me to be shooting on these guys, even though I have great jiu-jitsu. It's still just you're giving your neck up, you know? For sure. Well, dude, let's get right down to business because we got Alistair over him. He's minus 145, and the comeback on Mark Hunt is plus 125. I mean, dude, obviously, it's intriguing anytime you get two dynamic strikers like this. But, man, there's so many outside factors. I mean, word on the street is Mark Hunt is suing the UFC and, man, he's been saying all kinds of wild shit. And his last fight against uh, Lesnar was not very inspiring, man. I expected him to knock Lesnar's head off, and he got grinded for three. But the thing with Overeem is, I mean, look, offensively speaking, I mean, those kicks, to, that liver kick, the knees, everything about his striking is just so dynamic. But, I mean, the dude's been put out cold like over 14 times. And, you know, when you're fighting a guy like Mark Hunt, that's got to count for something. But, man... A lot of outside factors for me here to, to make a bet. But, uh, Sean Carey, I heard you had a bet on this fight. I do indeed have a bet. I think we were talking about this earlier. Like, I think that Mark Hunt with this, with this you know, lawsuit bone to grind and you want to 
shut them up and get rid of them. The best way to do that is like a Curtis Blades type character, somebody who's not going to be liable to what he does, who's who's going to look for takedowns instantly, et cetera. But they didn't. They gave him a guy who's been knocked out like 10 or 11 times. No, like 13 just or got 15 out times. Re- oh, Jesus. <laughs> he just got knocked out recently, like knocked dead. Um, you know, now Hunt is coming in, knows he has a winnable fight, knows he can probably land one big one and end the fight, and then he knows he gets that mic time afterwards to curse out the UFC or shit on it or do whatever he's going to do. Um, I think he probably is going to be more aggressive than he's shown in the last couple fights because of these reasons. Whether that plays out in a good way or a bad way, we'll have to find out. Uh, Overeem, on the other hand, I still think he's going to go that protect your chin row. I think he will be, uh, you know, moving away and then running back to the center over and over again. I think he'll look for takedowns once or twice. I don't think it's going to work out right away. Um, he, you know, he can grab the clinch and, and need a shit out of Mark Hunt. That's, that's obvious. But I think over 15 minutes, I don't think he can get rid of Mark Hunt. And I think that gives Mark Hunt 15 minutes of chances of landing that, that bomb on him somewhere. And it, it doesn't, at, at this point, and even before this point, it doesn't really need to be a bomb, does it? It can come off the top of his head. It can hit him behind the ear. It can hit him in all kinds of places and, and just totally get rid of him. We, we've seen it. So, yeah, I think the most likely situation here is over the course of 15 minutes, Mark Hunt lands a bomb, gets on the mic, shits on the UFC, and perhaps retires right away. So I've got one and a half units on Mark Hunt, uh, plus 125. Now, Vic, this is a rematch, man. The first time they fought, Alistair Overeem went out there and tapped Mark Hunt out pretty damn quick. And obviously, we can make the argument that Alistair has more ways to win. But man, that one shot that Mark Hunt brings to the table, that's got to be a huge weapon here, James. Yeah, for sure. I'm not going to lie. I really hate this fight. <laughs> because the, I love these guys, both of them. And I don't want either one of them to lose. Like, I, I, for some reason, like Overeem is like, I don't know. It's, uh, he breaks my heart every every time because I somehow I I just still believe in Overeem. I always believe in him because like I just you know I grew up with Overeem. He was the man when I, as I was coming up basically in my MMA career. He was the man, and you know I'm a striker and he won K1. And after he came from MMA to K1, like Mark Hunt won K1, but Mark Hunt was a kickboxer first, you know. So like Overeem was like that no no all be all for me. He was the man. And I was like, man, Overeem's gonna come to the UFC. He's gonna murder everyone. I was, I was so. And then just every time he gets touched, man, I, I just want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, I think that what I think Overeem should do. I mean, obviously, he knows what he should do. You know, I'm not trying to tell him another how to fight, how to fight, but I think he should go back to his hands up the way he used to. I think he keeps his hands down more. And remember when he fought in K1? He had that double forearm guard, and obviously he was fighting with bigger gloves, so that works better. But he would just block everything and walk through people's shit. But I really believe that he fights with his hands down more so he can he can sprawl and defend takedowns better. Um, and, but he's not really going to have that threat against Mark Hunt, you know? So I think he should come out and keep his hands up a little more. But I think that I think also Overeem can, can beat Mark Hunt similar to the way he beat Roy Nelson. He could just move, and he could throw some weird shit, some, you know, Side kicks to the knees, some front kicks, and and I do think that, like you said, Mark, if Mark Hunt lands Colleen, it's over. I mean, it is over 100%. But I think Overing can move, and Overing has knees, and Overing has 
Owen has big, powerful overhands himself, looping shots. He's very accurate and fast with his punches as well. And neither one of them are going to be throwing in combination, really. They're just going to look for, you know, their heavyweights, and they're going to look for one or two shots. And I just think that uh, I think Overeem, like you said, he has more ways to win. And if I had to bet my money, I would pick, I'd pick Overeem. You know, it's interesting, Matt, because in Overeem's title fight against Stipe, I mean, people only remember the, the result of Stipe winning, but Stipe had to go through some shit to win that fight. Kind of like Travis Brown had to go through some shit to beat Overeem as well. So, you know, we'll see if Mark Hunt's durability holds up because we know Overeem's won't, but we also know Overeem's output. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, the dude knocked out Junior Dos Santos. I mean, I was very surprised when he beat JDS, man, so... I really don't fucking know what's gonna happen here. I, I would bet Hunt if he didn't have all if he wasn't talking about suing the UFC and all that. I feel like his head's not in the game. I understand Sean's point about wanting to wanting to prove a point and get on the mic and talk shit, but they still gotta fight first, man. So yeah, I really don't know. I'm gonna lean with Hunt because he's the dog. But yeah, that's 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 what I think, man. But Lando Venata, he's minus two fifty. The comeback on David Timor is plus 210. It's interesting, man, because Lando Venata, I mean, he uh, made his UFC debut against Tony Ferguson on like a week short notice. And yeah, the under one and a half rounds did cash. But man, he put up a good effort, man. He, and he brings his own little style to the, to, the, to the table. You know, I was watching his regional scene fights. He's got the kind of knockout power where he hits dudes and it's like a delayed reaction. Then they go out cold. And obviously, he's got that very unorthodox style. He spins a lot. He kind of keeps his hands down, which, you know, is kind of a red flag. But with these kind of karate dudes, even though he's not a karate dude, but when you need that karate distance, you know, those dudes keep their hands down a lot. And then I, fa I found out that Lando Venata is actually a D1 wrestler. I had no idea. But, you know, it turns out he did, you know, only do one semester D1. But so what? He made it to that level. So making it to a D1 level is a big deal. Now, with this guy, David Timor, you know, on paper, when the matchup was announced, I was like, well, David Timor is this Muay Thai world champion. You know, he hits hard as fuck. He's been beating everyone he's fought. But when I really looked into it, man, look at the guys he's been beating. I mean, it's like, you know, it, it's the lowest of the low, man. I'm not trying to disrespect Martin Svensson or, or the guys he fought on the Ultimate Fighter, but, man, this is a step up in competition for David Timor. I actually think the line is correct here. And I'm going to go with the big favorite, Lando Venata. I feel like with a full camp, we're going to see something that we haven't seen yet, man. Because look, in that fight with Tony Ferguson, yeah, he did have success. But he gassed out so damn quick, you know, probably due to the short notice or due to Tony Ferguson's pace. But with, uh, you know, his next fight against Mac Desi, that spinning kick, you know, even though he didn't get a chance to go the full three, I mean, the way he set up that spinning kick, he threw a little sidekick to the knee, and then he spun with the other leg and knocked him out cold. It was beautiful. I feel like he's going to do something special, something funky, something we don't expect here. Even though a, a very technical striker such as Timor could capitalize on that, I feel like uh, this is going to be Venata's coming out party. What do you think, Sean? Well, I think from... All right. First of all, I think that, that Lando is awesome. He's fun to watch. Uh, he's exciting so far. Um, you know, there's, there's something there, but after that last spin kick and honestly how he's fought up to this point, I'm going to rule out the wrestling in this, in this fight. I have a bet on Tamor. If wrestling becomes involved, that, that, that's out the window. That's, you know, he will probably take him down if he wants to take him down. I look at him right now as a guy who is perhaps falling in love a little bit too much with the fancy shit. 
I think he's waiting for that fancy shit. And, you know, you can wait the fight away. Uh, Tamer a little bit sloppy, but has some good volume. Um, you know, some of the punches are technical, but what, he seems to get ahead of himself a little bit. You know, if Lando wants to stay back and wait and stay back and wait and stay back and wait, these rounds could be close that way. Um, as far as these guys just exchanging, you know, Tamor's no slouch. Uh, he, he brings some definite power. I think if this is just a stand-up striking match, I look at this as like Lando around minus 150 or so. Uh, so the 245 or 235 that I got on Tamor is, is well worth it. Um, you know, Lando could probably snatch Tamor at any moment, but I, I think that, that he waits too long and winds up and misses with some big things and starts to slow down, as we've seen. Um, and then Timor can kind of pull even and, and make it close towards the end. Uh, Lando's definitely hittable, as we've seen. I, I see this as a, as a close stand-up striking match with not a lot of grappling involved. So on that note, one unit on Timor plus 235. Ballsy, man. James Vick, what do you think, man? Lando Venata or David Timor? Yeah, um, I'm going to go with Lando, honestly. Um, anytime, like, not, I mean, I don't know what world title Timor won or whatever. Anytime anybody says they're a Muay Thai world champion, I, it's kind of a joke to me because, <laughs> like, like well, I mean, I'm not even trying to be funny, but, like, how many fucking, like, unless they fucking were a Muay Thai world champion in Thailand or some shit, they really don't mean shit, like, these dudes will go, a promotional company will start their own, um, they'll start a, I don't know, a European promotion, England kickboxing, and they'll go win, a, they'll have a debut card, and the first card, they crown a world champion. Like, you see people that, oh, this person's a six-time world champion, and no fucking real tie fighters ever even heard of them, you know what I'm saying? So they're just, just saying they're all, they're world champions. That's like, oh, well, I was a, uh, I fought with this organization here in Texas, basically. And if you fight with a belt or whatever, you win a regional promotion. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an XKO world champion. You know, um, you're, you're not a world champion. You're a fucking a champion of that promotion. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Did he win a major world title? I don't know. So I don't no, know that. It's the, it's the Swedish championship, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, I, I just think that, uh, like you said, I, I, what season of the ultimate fighter was he on too? Which one was that? Say say that again. Sorry, I didn't uh, hear. Came on the ultimate. Which fighter. season? It's off. Yeah. Uh, okay, the one that Connor coached against uh, Uriah Faber, the one that yeah, Ryan Hall yeah. won. Yeah, look, 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 Arnold made it to the finals. The, the season was a fucking bunch of bumps. <laughs> you know, it'd be funny, but it, you know, it really was. Yeah. And um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm going with Lando. He um. He trains at a good camp. You know, he trains with quality strength partners. He's looked good in the last two fights and um, that I've saw of his. And, you know, I just think it, it makes sense that he would, he would win. I think so as well, man. But, dude, this fight, I got a feeling a lot of us are going to disagree here because we got Rashad Evans making his middleweight debut. He's minus 220. The comeback on Daniel Kelly is plus 180. Now, firstly, I mean – we got to give a lot of respect to Rashad. I mean, legend of the sport. We all remember where we were when he knocked out Chuck Liddell. One of the most, you know, surprising and devastating moments of our sport's history. Rashad's a total badass, but look, man, there's a window of opportunity for every single fighter. 
And, uh, you know, Rashad, I mean, look, a couple years back, Dana was saying that Rashad should retire. You know what I mean? And now he, he was fighting at 205. Now he's dropping to 185. He's dropping those 20 pounds this late in his career when he's almost 40 years old. And when you look at a guy like Dan Kelly, you know, it's funny. You know, he's got the dad bod, but he's going in there whooping on a 24-year-old's asses, man. And, you know, he is a judo Olympian from from Australia. I must note that, right? But, uh, look, man, he's... He's 5-1 and one in the UFC. He finds a way to get it done. The guy is a winner. I know that it doesn't look the prettiest. I know it can be kind of ugly, but, man, the guy is so gritty. And I feel like with Rashad, look, Rashad back in the day, obviously he was known for his wrestling, but more importantly, he was known for his speed. We all know speed is the first thing to go for an aging fighter. Power is the last thing to go, but speed's the first thing to go. So I don't really think he's going to be that much faster than Dan Kelly. I mean, we saw, obviously, look, Bader, Glover, I understand that's a higher level of competition than uh, than Rashad, but that's not the point, uh, excuse me, than Dan, but that's not the point here, guys. The point is how he looked in those fights, and he looked like a guy that couldn't pull the trigger anymore, that was gun-shy, that wanted to be like his former self. And I feel like with Dan Kelly's pressure, he's going to go out there, and I feel like he's going to get this upset and get that signature win over a legend such as Rashad. So I'm going to bet on Dan Kelly. I haven't done it yet. The reason why is because I feel like it's going to be plus 200 by fight time. Right now it's plus 180. I'm being patient. But, dude, I, th I feel like he's going to do a lot of hand fighting. He's going to trap the hand of Rashad, trap his wrist, then throw a nice straight left down the pipe. I'm not sure if he's going to get takedowns because it's kind of hard to take down a guy like Rashad. But I do think he can outwork him over the course of three rounds. So I'm going to go with Daniel Kelly here for the upset. What do you think, Vic? Uh, Daniel, please go ahead and bet with Daniel Kelly so you can bring those odds down so I can bet on Rashad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. I mean, I, I like Dan Kelly. I fought on the same card as him before in Australia. Super cool guy. Um, uh, dude, he's not winning this fight. And another question, who, who is the five guys he's beating in the UFC? Well, the two I can name are Antonio <laughs> Carlos Jr., the shoe face guy, and Chris Camozzi. Mm -hmm. Okay, and both of those guys, to be honest with you, aren't, aren't athletes. Well, that's one thing I understand. I know Rashad's older, but I think what the one thing that wins this fight over anything is the athleticism, and, and it's not even the, the hand speed. Rashad wasn't just known for that. He wasn't known for that, but he's also known for power. He had one-hit knockout power. Like, I'm not trying to be mean, but Dan Kelly, I think he's going to be a punching position. I think he's, he's going to get touched whenever Rashad wants to touch him. He's not going to get a takedown, and Rashad could, probably can put him on his back anytime he wants. It, that doesn't mean he will, but I think the athleticism alone is going to blow this up the window, and it doesn't matter if Rashad's older. He, they're both older. You know, Dan Kelly's 40 as well, and I think that the athleticism, there's, there, you know, people, technique is technique, you know, but Rashad Evans is technical as well, but he's an athlete, and athletic, athleticism plays a factor in, 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 in sports in general and in, in fighting also, you know. So I think that the athleticism is, is going to be the major difference. And I just don't see Dan Kelly, even if he hit Rashad clean, I don't see him having the power to finish Rashad. And I don't see any way he can get Rashad on his back. So I just don't see how he wins this fight. Well, I feel you. I mean, a couple years ago, Rashad would have been a minus 700. There's a reason the line has gotten closer. And also, in Rashad's prime, even when he was the fucking man, he would always slow down in that third round. You recall the Rampage fight. You recall the Tiago Silva fight. I understand the athleticism difference, but man, when dude's got one foot out the door, it's kind of hard to, to pick them, man. 
Lee Kelly tries to come forward and pressure guys this fight, if he tries to pressure Rashad too hard, he's going to get touched too much, and this fight ain't going to last the whole round. He's going to get knocked out, honestly, because he's slow and he's stiff and he stands straight up and down. He has no head movement. He has no foot movement. He's, he's going to get touched. And, and there's a, you know, he's a good chance of getting finished, to be honest with you, with the, with the, with the power shotter has. But also, you know, um, he can't he can't just pressure 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 that he's gonna outwork him and give it volume. He's he's gonna get he's gonna get hurt doing that. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I totally agree with Vic. I you know, Rashad is better everywhere. It's just simple. He is better at everything that Dan Kelly does. And as far as the the hand speed deteriorating, I'm pretty sure that a 72 year old Rashad is still faster than Dan Kelly right now. Um, the 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 issue here is the reason why I can't bet this straight is because, I, in my opinion, on anything that Rashad pulls the trigger on, he's gonna he's gonna land it. Whether it's takedowns, punches, kicks, whatever it is, the problem is, can I count on him to pull the trigger? At this point, layoff, medical problems, uh, weight class change, and then seeing him not pull the trigger in the past. I mean. It's a little too risky for me, but small time in the round robin, I did put Evans inside the distance at plus 166 because this is the perfect opponent for Rashad to feel like Rashad. The, the, you know, I wish that UFC used more warm-up fights and welcome-back fights, and this is a, a welcome-back fight in the, the highest order. So he will go in there, he will shake some rust off, and then he'll be like, ooh, I can do whatever I want to you, and then he will. Man, if he does that, props to him, man, because I know, uh, look, like I said, it's ugly with Dan Kelly, but he finds a way, and I really respect guys that find a way, but I acknowledge what you guys are saying. It's just a matter of, you know. He's been he's been hurt badly. He's been hurt badly multiple times. We've seen it, you know. Who, Dan? Yeah. It's true. It's true. He finds yeah. a way, though, so we're going to find out, man. I cannot wait, but dude. You ready to debate further? Because we got the co-main event of the evening. Khabib Nurmagomedov. He's minus 175. Tony Elkukui Ferguson is plus 155. James Vick, look, man. This is for the lightweight, the interim belt. Chances are they get promoted to undisputed champion if Conor never comes back. But bottom line, they're fighting for a belt in your weight class. You got a common opponent with both of them. You finished a guy that Khabib couldn't finish. Who you got in this matchup between Ferguson and Nurmagomedov? And I also finished him easier than Tony Ferguson as well. This is not true. Not even drop. <laughs> or, or taking that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah he, took, he took Tony down three times and dropped him. But um, uh, I'm, I'm going with, with Khabib. I mean, I, I'm a big believer in Khabib, and I think that he's mentally stronger. I think that um, I, I was talking about this on the pocket, the MMA Roasted podcast, actually. Um, and I just think that... Uh, the, the the there's no way that Tony Ferguson can avoid the clinch with Khabib, and that's gonna be that's gonna be a downfall because you see like a guy like I think honestly like Conor McGregor he's gonna have a better chance to land that one shot because he's a, Tony Ferguson has he has power in his right hand but he's not like a quick explosive fast twitch guy like Michael Johnson is like that's why Michael Johnson was able to catch him because he's a, he's an explosive first step fast twitch guy. 
So he lands, he, you know, he lands that quick shot. Tony Ferguson is not that guy. He's a volume striker that breaks people down, and he can knock people out with one shot with the right hand. But I just feel like he's gonna he's gonna get caught in those grappling exchanges, and he can try his little, you know, uh, Eddie Bravo freaking uh, rubber guard shit. He can try his little grandy roll. <laughs> But I just think that he's he, there's no way he can avoid those clinches. And then you see fights, you know, with him on his back when he fought Danny Castillo. You know, he's he's on his back for three rounds basically. And I just think with Khabib on top, Khabib's not just going to have one of that. Khabib's going to be able to land some damage on him. And I just think that the only way Tony could could win this fight is if Khabib just completely gasses. And I just don't see that happening because. It's going to be the type of Khabib uh, fight Khabib wants it to be, a grappling match. And that being said, I think Khabib wins. Either he can finish him on the ground or he's going to just win a uh, five-minute decision. Sean Carey? Yeah. Um, I, again, I, I pretty much agree with Vic here. Here's the, here's the thing. Um, Tony Ferguson can – possibly outlast and then get to Khabib late after losing a majority of the fight. Absolutely possible. Uh, Tony Ferguson could land a series of bombs standing up before the fight actually gets started, uh, or maybe after he tires out a little bit. Absolutely possible. Um, Tony Ferguson can probably grab a Darce somewhere in the fight. That's also totally possible. Uh, not how ruling those, not ruling those things out. I think that Tony Ferguson is awesome. He's one of, uh, you know, definitely in the top 10 guys I, I like to watch, but there's specific things about this matchup that makes it bad. The reason why I take Michael Johnson against Khabib and the reason why I would take Connor against Khabib, um, they are, as far as footwork goes, it's more of like a boxing-centric kind of thing. That front foot stays in the front, and they slide in, and they look to pinpoint strikes, and then they're sliding out. And it's like Vic said, it's like explosive and on you. The, pro- the problem is Tony Ferguson is not that. Tony Ferguson does a couple things in particular that I think will lose him this fight. A, he spins. He spins too much. Whether he means to spin or he overcommits with something and ends up partially with his back to his opponent, those positions, just one time, could be a round loser. Because if Khabib puts his hands together and has your back, you're probably going for a ride right there. You're probably going for a ride. And Tony ends up in that position quite often. Um, the other thing that I like even less than the first thing is when Michael Johnson or Connor, for instance, when they come forward with like, uh, for instance, a one, two, one, two, they're sliding with that front foot is a jab, right hand, jab, right hand. And they're following you with the jab and sliding and their feet are in the right position. When Tony comes after you, uh, a lot of guys are like, Oh, he's switching when he throws punches. I don't think that's switching when you're throwing punches. I think that's picking up your feet and walking as you're trying to hit the guy. I don't like that at all. I think that's terrible. In that thing, there's so many moments when your feet are switching that they're next to each other or one foot is not in the right spot. You're you're not really in the place to strike when your feet are next to each other like that. And if you're going to throw one punch at Khabib and then bring the wrong foot forward on the next one and he happens to shoot when your feet are together, you're not staying on your feet right there. You're going for a ride. So... 
anytime that, in my opinion, when you see Tony chasing him with his feet walking like that, that's a perfect takedown opportunity, and you can't really do, no, do much about it when your feet are together or next to each other like that. And the third thing, like Vic said, when, you're on your, when Tony's on his back, he does not look to get up first. He looks to threaten with a sub first. He looks to throw up rubber guard first. He looks to roll first. Um, all, those, all those things, I think, just get you squashed and get your guard passed against the beat. I don't, I don't think that's threatening right there. I think that's the wrong thing to do. I think he's got to stuff the head and stand up immediately when he gets taken down. But he's such a believer in this Eddie Bravo stuff that he goes to Mission Control Electric Chair Part 2 or something like that. That's not going to work against Khabib. It's just not. Uh, we, see, we don't see it work against anyone, really. That's the truth. So, you know, in that, just imagine this round. Tony's chasing him down. He throws a punch. Uh, he overcommits, his back is facing Khabib, Khabib joins his hands, grabs his back, immediately Tony rolls for a leg lock, doesn't work, Khabib's on top and fresh, with no punches really exchanged. How does the rest of that round go? It's, it's Khabib throwing off subs and bombing and bombing and bombing. Can he do that for five? I think he can, because Tony makes too many reckless mistakes with those things that I was just talking about. So, I like to be big here. I've got him for three units. Well, Sean, you got three units on Khabib, and you know what, man? I got three units on Tony Ferguson. I'm going against both y'all oh, here. The battle. <laughs> yeah. Look, Khabib's unbelievable. I mean, one does not simply go 24-0 and 0 in MMA, and especially when you're a one-dimensional guy like him. I'm not trying to disrespect his stand-up, but bottom line is this guy's known for one thing and one thing only, and he's really fucking good at that one thing. But man, I mean, look, Ferguson brings more to the table here, man. His striking is a lot more diverse than uh, than Khabib. Look, Khabib's got the nice little overhand right. And you know, I'll tell you what, with Khabib, he starts off kind of slow, but once he, he turns up, he really turns up, and he just gets in your face, and the shit's not technical at all, but man, it's there's a ferocity to it. You know, the way he attacked Rafael Dos Anjos, the overhand right, the flying knees, I mean... They're not textbook. They're just super aggressive, and he's got you know this. He's got a will behind it. But man, if there's someone that I think can break that will, I think it's Tony Ferguson. I mean, firstly, we just saw him go five rounds in the Mexico City elevation, and he looked as fresh as can be. I understand that it was against a guy that's not a wrestler, but still, Rafael dos Anjos. I mean, former world champion. That guy is a stud. To to fifty forty five him is is no easy task. So, you know, you mentioned if, if he does his little spins and, you know, his back is faced towards Khabib, I understand. He'll probably get suplexed there or, or he'll try to roll for a, you know, a knee bar and then get laid on the rest of the round. But, dude, I think he's coming in here prepared, man. I think he's going to pick his shots. He doesn't have the fast twitch that Michael Johnson does, but I still think he can touch Tony. I mean, excuse me, I still think he can touch Khabib. He's got a six-inch reach advantage, and I feel like he, look, with, with Michael Johnson, he stuffs three takedowns in a row, and then he pulls guard trying to go for a guillotine. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, that's not Michael Johnson's game. He was broken by the pressure by the end of the first round that he was doing a bunch of desperation shit. I feel like Ferguson's got the cardio to go all five. He will be fine, even if he gets laid on for one or two of the rounds. I think he's going to be the fresher guy in the championship rounds. And also, you know, we can bring up the Danny Castillo fight, but 
but there's two there's two things I want to say about that. Number one, look what he's done since then. He learned his lesson, and he's been killing dudes since the Castillo fight. And number two, I mean, look, I no no disrespect to Castillo. I understand he'd whoop my ass, but. You know, I don't really think Tony took that fight seriously. I thought I, it seemed to me like he took that as a joke because he's like, oh, I'm fighting Danny Castillo. Everyone's beat this guy. Whatever. I'm going to fucking do somersaults in the middle of the octagon and do a bunch of cocky shit. I feel like he learned his lesson, the fact that that fight went to split decision. And we've seen that he learned his lesson in his subsequent fights. He's been going out there and destroying everyone he's fought. Man, the snap down city to the Darce choke is not going to surprise me, and either will a decision. I'm going to go with the upset, the plus 175 on Tony Ferguson. And Sean, one of us is going to be right, one of us is going to be wrong, and uh, I look forward to being right, my man. Daniel, you're going to happen. <laughs> What's up, James? You, look, you know, another thing that, that, that uh, I guess we should talk about is the fact that this is nothing, everyone acts like Khabib striking just sucks, but Tony Ferguson is very hittable. Like, yeah, yeah That's right. she's, she's showing a solid chin. This motherfucker gets touched every fight. He gets hit. Like, so Abel Trujillo dropped him when he fought him. I mean, Lando Venado was fucking him up bad. He takes shots. I mean, I just don't think that it, it's a landslide that, oh, if they, first of all, they're not staying on their feet. There's no way that he, he if Khabib gets a hold of if Tony Ferguson's little furrow body that he's not putting him on his back, for one thing. But I just don't think that, like Tony Ferguson can just go out there and just win five rounds and, and win every single exchange. Like he, there's a good chance he's going to get touched. You know what I'm saying? And I think that like, like me and Sean talked about, dude's too comfortable on his back. He, he, he'd rather sit on his back and try Like I, he's the only wrestler I've ever seen in my life who wrestled his whole life. that's just comfortable sitting on his back and trying elbows and, and rubber guard. And if he, and like you just said about him, oh, he might try to roll for it. If he rolls for a leg lock on Khabib, he's going to get fucking knocked the fuck out. He's going to get pounded and get the shit beat out of him. Like straight up, um, you know, Khabib is a two-time Sambo world champion. You think he's worried about Tony Ferguson's leg lock game? I mean, let's be realistic. I, I don't think that he is. And I just think that I really think this is, I, I think this is a horrible matchup for Tony Ferguson. And I know other people don't think so, but I do. And the only, the only thing on paper, it's a horrible matchup. And the only thing that doesn't that you can't ever tell is obviously you know Tony Ferguson has major hearts, so you can't ever you know that's a factor that can't be measured you know as far as on paper. But I just think this is a nightmare matchup for him. I know what you guys are saying, yeah. and if Tony starts doing a bunch of dumb shit, obviously it's one of those fights where you know I, I'll take the L like a man. But man, I feel like he's going to be smart. He has to be because if he's doing a bunch of dumb shit, like you guys said. Khabib's going to get on top, and that's the end of that round. So I feel like Tony's smart enough to make the proper adjustments in a fight like this, but we're going to have to tune in and find out. Indeed. All right. And, and anything else you guys want to say about the co-main event before we move on? No. All right. I'm good. Well, the main event of the evening, we got Steven Wonderboy Thompson. He's a minus-160 favorite. The comeback on the champ, Tyron Woodley, is plus 140. The champ is the underdog here. But anyways, so I picked Steven Wonderboy Thompson in every single fight he had on his run except the title fight. And the reason why is because, look, with these karate guys, they require a lot of distance to get off on their strikes. And, man, if you give them that distance, I mean, there's going to be a bunch of spinning shit out of nowhere. I mean, Wonderboy makes dudes look really fucking dumb when they play his game. Who's the best in the world at closing the distance at 170 pounds? I'm pretty damn sure it's Tyron Woodley. And, you know, a lot of people are saying like, oh, this fight, Wonderboy's going to finally throw his kicks. It's like, 
well, did you watch their first fight? There's a reason he didn't throw his kicks in the first fight. It's because Tyron Woodley completely shut down his game. Now, I understand that you know T. Wood does these things where he backs himself up into up into the cage, but he does that every single fight, man. This isn't anything new. He does that every fight. That's part of his style. That's he likes to back himself into the cage, and then he likes to bomb on you. I mean, that's that's what he does, man. I mean, look, when you have finishes of Robbie Lawler, Carlos Condit, a win over Kelvin Gastelum, a win in my book over Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, I'm not going to question your resume, man. T-Wood is as legit as they come. I feel like he's underappreciated, he's under-respected, and he's the underdog to a guy that I think he just beat. I mean, look, he got two 10-8 rounds in that, in that last fight. The third round, it's up for up for debate who won that one. But I feel like, look, I have this theory about these five-round fights, man. So whenever there's a five-round fight and they have a rematch, the rematch always ends inside the distance. Hendo versus Shogun. Shogun versus Machida. Pettis versus Benson. Barrow versus Favor. Benson versus Cowboy. I can go on and on. The first fight goes the full five-round distance. The rematch ends inside the, ends inside the distance. I think this rematch is going to end inside the distance as well. And I think it's going to end with Tyron Woodley closing the distance and knocking out Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And still the champion. I got three units on Tyron Woodley. You know, I hit it once at plus 105, once at plus 110, and once at plus 130. Look, I thought he was going to be the favorite. I thought he should be the favorite. So when I saw the plus 105, I was like, all right, yeah, I'll hit that. Then plus 110, then plus 130. Now it's plus 140. Dude, I, I got I got what we refer to as uh, Sean Carey. Do you know what I mean? I missed the good line. But look, <laughs> I got the champ winning and retaining his belt, and I got him finishing Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. One more thing. So Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he's notoriously had very, very terrible weight cuts. Uh, you know, people close to, you know, close to that camp told me his nutrition's bad. I don't know if that's true or not. But bottom line, he's had very difficult weight cuts throughout his career. I heard he put on 10 pounds of muscle for this fight. That's not going to be good when it comes to the weight cut, in my personal opinion. Sean Carey, what are you thinking here, man? I am thinking that Wonderboy is going to win by knockout. Um, you know, my memory of this fight and then going back and watching it a couple times, it, man, my memory was off. Like, this fight, in my opinion, was one punch away from, you take that one punch away and, and Wonderboy wins this four rounds to one. Uh, the majority of the fight, Tyron Woodley was backing into the cage and not doing much. He really didn't counter much. He came forward and, th and threw punches, but there wasn't a lot of countering. Um, that first round, he did catch a lazy leg kick and took him down. Didn't do a ton of damage there, but did land an elbow that, that, that uh, cut him, uh, which is you know more than enough to win the round there. The second round, not a ton going on, but it's, it's basically... Wonder Boy pushing you forward, getting you on the cage, measuring you and trying to land shots, and, and not a lot coming back from Woodley. Um, third round, I feel like it's the same thing. It was close, but uh, Wonder Boy wins that one as well. The fourth round, he's winning. Then he gets his head exploded. Then he get, almost gets choked out. Then he ends up on top for about a minute at the end of that round. Um, and then... Because Woodley finally expended some energy in that round, he comes out in the fifth completely gassed. Here's the things that are there curious to me. I think, A, in the fifth round, Wonder Boy figured out Tyron Woodley. Uh, he shook him at the end of the round. He measured him. 
He really got his distance. He was lining up on him. I think this is just the sixth round of the first fight. I think that Wonder Boy has this figured out. Secondly, I think that that for the entire fight, Tyron Woodley is actively thinking about not gassing out. I think this is the thing that's on his mind all the time. He mentions it constantly. Somehow it gets tied to his race. I don't fucking get that, but whatever. Uh, we've seen you gas out, dude. I don't care what color you are. That doesn't fucking matter. But he's thinking about not, not gassing out, and that's why the output is not there. That's why the output has not been there in the past. He's going to do the same thing here. And, and I think that Wonder Boy will have more confidence, will have more volume, and when he gets him on the cage, he's going to get off. And it, it will be a lot of punches and not a lot of kicks but he's eventually going to back him up and bait him into something and catch him and knock him out. Uh, I, I see Wonder Boy winning this fight inside the distance, and uh, we've got a new star on our hands. Hey, Sean, real quick, I want to make a counter to your point that that Wonder Boy figured out Woodley in that fifth round. I disagree, and the reason I disagree is because, look, watch the fourth round. I mean, Woodley literally expended so much energy knocking this dude down a million times, I mean, that's, that already takes a lot of energy trying to pound him out. And then he goes for that guillotine and hangs on for it, you know, for about a minute. Dude, that had to have gassed his arms out. So, uh, in my opinion, he coasted in that fifth round, which is bad if I'm betting Woodley, right? If he doesn't finish the deal here and he coasts, then fuck, we're going to get picked apart. But th that's why I feel like he lost the fifth round. I don't feel like it's uh, Wonderboy figuring him out. Well, I mean, what if that same situation happened in the second round? What would the rest of the fight look like? Well, would that that was all the gas in the tank right there? Then I'm yeah, fucked. That's right? what I'm saying. Like that <laughs> that can happen. But the thing that is that situation can happen just as easily as Tyron Woodley just landing a bomb. But I think this fight looks a lot like the first one, except for Wonder Boy being in control for the majority of it. But as far as his cardio, the biggest damage of the fight was done in the fourth round. So his cardio is not as bad as everyone says. And he also went three rounds with Kelvin Gastelum and won the decision. So, I mean, that's a cardio machine right there. So I don't think his cardio is as bad as people say. I think it's more of his output that could that could be worked on a little bit more. Well, but. his cardio isn't as bad as you think because he doesn't spend any of it. Yep. You know? What do you think, Vic? I, I mean, great minds think alike, Sean. <laughs> um, uh, 100%. Everything you said is right on the money. I mean, I can. I guess I'll add a little more on too. But really, I mean, he pretty much just gave my whole analysis there. Um, uh, basically, you're right. His cardio, he, his cardio doesn't lack uh, because he doesn't throw no. He don't throw no punches. He. But the the one thing that saves him is he's so explosive and hits so hard that a lot of other people won't throw volume on him. So that's why because they know they're either one counter away from getting caught. That's why you see someone like Roy McDonald walk him down and it was it was a landslide win. Because Ruby Donald pumped the jab, high, low, mix it up, and front kicks. And like Sean said, it's not going to be a bunch of kicks this time. It's gonna, I think it's going to be a lot of straight blitzes and straight punches coming in. And it's going to, you know, when we don't throw a lot of looping stuff, it's going to be straight up the middle and it's going to be fast. It's going to be, it's going to be explosive. And I just think that um, Woodley Woodley doesn't get tired because he don't throw it, but he's so explosive that people have to respect it. So they don't throw the normal volume that they would throw, and I the one factor I do think that you know, Woodley, I think there's a good chance Woodley's going to try to wrestle way more of this fight. I do think that, just because I think that 
he he knows if he gets Wonder Boy on his back, it's, I think Wonder Boy on the cage is 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 going to be harder to take down. On the cage, he's not yeah, taller. People are generally harder to take down off the cage, but um, open mat, I think he's going to be easier to take down if if Woody can see that opportunity. Uh, Wonder Boy does a good job. He's very hard to take down because he he switches stances so often. That's what people don't realize. It's, I mean, his foot movement is good, and he moves good, but he, it's hard to take someone who constantly switches stances every five, ten seconds. And um, I think Wonder, I think Woodley has a good chance to take him down and open that, potentially. And if he does, I don't think Wonder Boy will get up that whole round unless he can get his back to the cage and maybe get up. But um, uh, I just think, that, I think like, like Sean said, I mean, realistically, if you take that one punch away, you could have it four rounds to one for Wonder Boy. I mean, it's just that one point, punch changed the whole course of the fight, obviously, and, you know, Woodley won a 10 round in that fight, in that round, in my opinion. But without that one punch, you know, actually, without that one punch and that one low kick, if, 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 if he wouldn't, you know, and anybody can say if, of course, and if this, but without, without the low kick and him catching it, does he win that first round or they stay up striking the whole time and he gets out pointed? I don't know. And then without him landing, I just think that, I mean, there's always that chance that Woodley, he is explosive. He can, Woodley can knock out any, he's like Anthony Johnson. He can go in and he can win. He can be anybody in the world because he, he has the one-headed quitter. He has what dynamite in his hands and that's all he needs. But if it comes to anything besides him landing that, I, I just don't see, I, don't, I definitely don't see him winning a decision this time. I think if he does win, he's going to have to finish Wonder Boy this time because because really, last fight, like I said, like you said, without that punch, without that one punch, he he, he got outworked the whole fight, and he's been outworked every fight. Jake Shield outworked him. The only people that he really beat in decisions that Kelvin fight was was a, was a uh, controversial decision, and then Kelvin didn't throw as much volume as he normally does either because he was. And then, he, right, and that was when he didn't make weight, and he was sick as well. Yeah, that fight. And it, yeah. I just, the only the, I mean, I I wouldn't I wouldn't give Wonder Boy a huge edge in this fight just because because well, Woodley's one hit away from winning the whole thing. He always is, and so is Anthony Johnson. You know, um, uh, but I think if it comes to the decision, there's there's no way uh, uh, Woodley wins this fight in the decision. He he'll, he'll get outworked unless somehow he can, he can he can break the code and get inside and wrestle because he's not gonna he's not gonna win the striking battle unless he just lands the handle. So I'm picking my money's on Well, both of you guys are against me. We're going to find out who's right, man. I think T Wood about to close that distance and make a statement. But look, there's a reason that we watch this shit. So thank you guys for breaking down the fight to me. Vic, before we get out of here, man, what's coming up next for you, dude? Um, I'm trying to get, I'm uh, trying to fight uh, May 13th in Dallas, 30 minutes from my house, the American Airlines Center, um, UFC 211. Uh, I called that Evan Dunham. Um, he's not replying. Imagine that. <laughs> and um, I text Sean Shelby, and I was like, "What's up, man? Give me Evan Dunham. You know, we're supposed to fight. He's ranked. Uh, he doesn't have anything booked, and um, I-, I want that fight." And Sean Shelby said, "Yeah, I understand." He's like, "But he hasn't been medically clear. He hasn't, he hasn't told Sean Shelby that he's medically cleared yet from his injury that he pulled out an able fight fight from." So. We'll see what happens. Um, hopefully, I want that fight, you know. So, hopefully, hopefully he'll be healthy and I can, I can get a top 15 guy. And, you know, I know the last time I got a top 10 guy, I blew it. And that, that's not going to happen again. I, I blew that opportunity. And, I, and this, this next time, I'm, I'm going to rectify myself. Hell, yeah, man. We can't wait to see it. And real quick, man, I want to 
I want to say this, dude. You know how we always talk about your weight cut? Dude, it looked like you had the best weight cut of your life in that Able fight, man. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the, you know, it was weird because I was really worried. Going, man, I had so many injuries in this camp. Like, about two weeks out, my coach was literally, like, he didn't say, he never directly said to me. He was basically trying to talk me out of pulling out of the fight. Because, like, my toe was broke on my left foot. My, I rolled my ankle really bad in, 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 in jiu-jitsu and wrestling. Um, uh, I just had so many injuries. got an injury, and, like, a tendon in my forearm has been messed up for a while. And um, I just had so many injuries, and um, uh, I couldn't run. And so we're down to, like, Thursday before the weigh-in, so, like, basically a week from the weigh-in. And I told – and. My nutritionist George Lockhart says he says if you if you can't run we ain't gonna make the weight like I was still fucking 180 pounds a week out you know he's like if you can't run we can't make the weight he's like you have to run so I just said fuck it and sucked it up and I, I ran you know that Thursday Friday and Saturday I ran like five miles each of those days and I was able to get it down and then I did like this little 24 hour fast from Saturday from like five until like Sunday at five. And then I, I was drastically down, and then I got, I got to um, uh, the the, the weigh in on Tuesday at at one seventy three, and so I had three days to lose that other eighteen pounds or seventeen pounds or whatever, and it actually came off very easily. I was surprised. Like I went to a sauna and I did like a light, probably one of the lightest sessions I ever did on on like Thursday evening, and I lost like six and a half pounds, and I couldn't believe it. So. It, for some reason, it just came off easier than usual. Dude, I noticed, man. I mean, you know, because with the early weigh-ins, the fighters get to line up. You were like the third person in line. And, like, dude, like, I, I, I keep it real with you, man. I tell you if you look like death, but this time you fucking look good, dude. So, hey, awesome. Thank you. <laughs> George Lockhart. Because of George Lockhart, the man. Hey, he's an ATL boy, so shout out to Lockhart. Well, Vic, uh... Let the audience know where to follow you. Anything else you want to plug? Go ahead, dude. Yeah, just um, uh, follow me on all my um, social media accounts, Instagram, Twitter, and um, Facebook. It's uh, James Vic MMA. And um, look for me. Uh, I should be fighting. Uh, I'm not sure of the opponent yet, but I should be fighting May 13th in, uh, in Dallas um, on UFC 211. Awesome. We look forward. James, thanks for doing this, brother. And uh, good luck with everything else, man. Yes, sir. Thank you, guys. You got it. Let's talk about these prelims, Sean. We got Yuri Alcantara. He's minus 110. And Luke Sanders is also minus 110. Now, everyone that listens to the show knows I'm a hardcore Yuri Alcantara fan. But being a fan of his and betting on him are two completely different things. And, you know, sometimes he goes out there and absolutely destroys guys, as you saw in his last fight against Pickett. I mean, the way he was using that left kick to the, to the left uh, straight. And then to the spinning elbow, and then obviously on the ground. He was unbelievable in that picket fight. But then there's the, these other fights where if he gets taken down and he can't you know, use his hips to get back up or sweep or go for a submission, he kind of takes breaks in fights. And I'm kind of worried about that in a spot like this against Luke Sanders. You know, Luke is one of these short, stocky, explosive wrestlers. And he can bang too. I mean, he knocked down Maximo Blanco in his UFC debut, but... One thing we got to mention, Sean, is that Luke Sanders has not competed since January 2016. Now, usually when a fighter takes over a year off, I mean, 
Maybe he's got some things going on outside of the cage. Maybe he's got an injury he's dealing with. There's so many possibilities of why he's been out a year. But my guess, Sean, is look, this guy just got a 50K bonus in his UFC debut. And I believe he's got like three or four kids. So why wouldn't he bat? Why wouldn't he be back by now? I have to think it's an injury, Sean. So I'm not sure that Luke Sanders is coming in at, coming in at 100%. And if you're not 100% against a guy like Yuri Alcantara, you're going to get taken out quick. So I'm going to go with Yuri, man. I mean, look, they're both actually southpaws, which makes it very, very intriguing for me. And uh, obviously, look, if, Luke, if Alcantara gets on his back, we can see him resting, which he is known to do, but... The longer this fight stays on the feet, I see Yuri uh, piecing him up with that big left kick to the body, the big straight left, the flying knees, the spins. But uh, we got to be careful because this Luke Sanders kid is no joke. It's just we know we know everyone's got to take that first loss. He's a bit inexperienced. He's got a lot of ring rust. I'm going to go with Alcantara, man. But uh, this kid Luke is, uh, is serious, so watch out for him. Yeah, I, I like Sanders here. Um Alcantara is basically feast or famine, right? He's he is a guy when at his best looks really good, at his worst looks like he just plainly doesn't give a fuck about the fight. Um, I think you you know obviously you can't judge this from last time, but I think it's about time for Alcantara to be headed downwards, and no doubt this is a step up for Sanders after a layoff. Uh, the things that I like for Sanders in this fight, in this matchup in particular, is when Alcantara does come in with that, that big whatever it's going to be, after that, he's, he's there to be hit. And Sanders, the one thing he's got going for him striking-wise is he seems to carry some power, uh, but besides that, his punches, especially the short ones, are really weird angles if you watch him punch. Like... They're kind of like all, all shovely or or all like hooks that look like they're wide, but he shortens them up and turns his body. Like up close, his punches are pretty goddamn dangerous. So that's what I'm looking for here is for him to get off with those in counter to whatever big flying from outside strike that Alcantara throws. And of course, uh, Alcantara is a sub threat. We saw Sanders in trouble last time, even though we got out of it and won the fight, sure, but still, can you survive that spot with, with Alcantara on you? Mm, I don't know. Uh, but the thing is, we've definitely seen Alcantara, like you said, lay on his back and accept that position. Uh, if Sanders gets that, he'll probably be able to hold it for the majority of the round. Uh, between those short punches and between that top control, I like Sanders here. I put him in the other half of that parlay from last week that had Eamon Zohabi. Uh, now it's one unit plus 151. Another thing about Alcantara to note is that he is putting in work at Jackson. So, you know, he's working with all those Russians on his ground game. But if I'm going to mention that, then I also have to mention that he was working with Jackson's during the Frankie Sines fight, and it didn't really make a difference there. So... It's one of those things. You know how I hate saying which guy's going to show up because it's really, it discredits the opponent. But with Yuri, he's got to be focused in there. He's got to be. It matters. He's got to be disciplined if he, if he wants to win this fight. And with Luke, I'm really glad you brought up the, the type of hook that he brings to the table. It's kind of like a centripetal hook where, you know, it looks like it's coming from the hip, but then it blinds you and it puts you down. And it's a very, yeah, very it's, effective. It's really hook. weird. 
Oh yeah, that centripetal hook is a very effective weapon. But man, the thing that's interesting about Yuri Sean is that he actually has the reach of a light heavyweight. I recall when uh, I watched his UFC debut against Felipe Aranches, and they said that Yuri actually had a 75-inch reach. I was like, this motherfucker got the same reach as Shogun. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I've seen I've seen later on that they say he's got a 71-inch reach. They changed it up, but the first time he fought against Felipe Aranches, it said 75 inches. Kind of like when uh, Frankie Edgar fought. <laughs> Fought uh, BJ Penn the first time. They said he had a 72-inch reach. Now they say he's got a 68-inch reach. So another example, Sean, I've seen Jake Ellenberger listed at 5'8", and I've seen him listed at 6 feet on a UFC tale of the tape. So we're never going to know for sure, but one thing I will say is that Yuri's got a very long reach for a bantamweight, man, and he's tall for the weight class as well. Not that height matters. I'm just saying, man, and this is a guy that knows how to use that length. But with a guy like Luke... Those hooks coming out of nowhere, you gotta be careful. But I fear that layoff and the and the rust for Luke, man. That's why I'm leaning Alcantara, but I don't have enough conviction to put my money down. So best of luck to you, Sean. Thank you. And dude, Mirsad Bektik. I don't know if you're looking at the at the odds, but do you you know what he currently you know what he's currently at, dude? It's like six hundred, right? Mirsad Bektik is minus six twenty. And the comeback on All Darren. Right, that's, that's insane. And the comeback on Darren Elkins is plus four sixty. Look, when I lined it in my. You know head, what that is, Dan- Daniel? You know what that is? That is people are searching for things that they definitely think are going to win this week, and everybody decided it was be- everybody decided it was Bechtich. You know what I mean? Because all the fights are tight, man. All the fights are tough this week. That's the one, huh? That's the one that everybody's riding on is the fact that she might get it, but. If you're paying anywhere north of shit, Two? if you're paying anywhere north of <laughs> 275, yeah, just like 275 if you're desperate and you want that parlay piece because you'll probably win. But you go above 275, I don't, I don't, uh, you must not be watching. Dude, in my head, I lined at minus 200 Bectic. So when I see a minus 620, you know, I kind of need your advice on this one, Sean, because look, man. I don't want to take a shot on a plus 460 that I think is going to lose, but I also don't think the line is correct. So what should I do in a situation like this? Let me ask the vet, Sean. I mean, what I would do is is make a round robin with three other darts and put Elkins in there because that's what I did. But here's the thing. Like, you know, this is always a tough – it's a tough thing to do because it's like – you can't just say that number's too good, I have to play it if you think Elkins is going to lose. But in reality, Elkins definitely has a chance to win. He's been looking better since Alpha Male. He has the kind of style that we've seen Bektich give for, you know, have problems with. Uh, it's a definite possibility. So you look at this and you go, okay, this number is outrageous. If I do this ten times and I win three, I'm making money. So you just you just do it and you think long term only. That's what I think about that. You know what I mean? Like that number and his chances of winning this fight are not they do not match. They do not match at all. You know what I mean? You can't you can't just leave that there. And and if somebody's listening right now going, That's stupid, he's gonna lose, you're fucking kinda right too. You're kind of right, too. But I'm saying it's not the one time that makes a difference. It's, 
it's the 10 times and getting three of them that makes the difference. That's what I think. But that number is outrageous. It's absolutely outrageous. Now, here's the thing with Mirsad. He kind of reminds me of GSB. He's able to mix up all facets of the game. And, I mean, the dude's blast double for not having a wrestling background. The kid has a serious blast double. And, obviously, that fight with Lucas Martins, we saw he can strike, too. And he came off, like, a two-year layoff and goes out there and and gets a first-round submission in his last fight. So he is very impressive. But the one fight that he had trouble with or trouble in was the Chaz Skelly fight. I know that was his UFC debut, but I'm just saying, Darren Elkins has a very similar style to Chaz Skelly. Now, Chaz Skelly knocked out Mirsad Bektik in the second round, but back then, the rules were a little bit different. So it was counted as an illegal knee, and you know it ended up being a majority uh, decision win for Mirsad Bektik. But if they run it back with the new rules, I'm pretty sure Chaz Skelly gets a second round knockout in that fight. Not that that has anything to do with this matchup, I'm just saying, you know, he can be put away. He has been put away. But uh, it's kind of. But at the same token, it's kind of cool that Bektik has the kind of heart where he can be knocked out and uh, still come back and win the fight. Because he got knocked out in that second round, and then the third round he takes down Chaskelly. So that's super impressive to me. But with a guy like Elkins, I mean, you know he's going to come hard for three straight rounds. Now, here's the thing, dude. In his fight with, with Pepe, so he takes down Pepe in the first round. And Pepe got a Kimura sweep. And he full-mounted Darren Elkins. Now, Darren Elkins was able to scramble his way out of that. I'm not convinced he can scramble his way out of a bad position with a guy like Mirsad Bektik. That's the thing, Sean. But, man, the way Elkins has been looking lately, just seeing a plus 460 next to his name, it's just not right, man. No, it's not right. You got you got to sprinkle a little bit. You just have to. I mean, look, is, is Bektik ready for – he's going to have – 15 minutes of fight that's non-stop on his hands. This is pretty much a step up in competition at all uh, as well. Like uh, Elkins has been finished once, right? Has he been finished more than once? Yeah, Elkins has been finished by Mendez and by Dubronx. Dubronx, right. Okay, Mendez was the one that I was thinking of. Basically, you got to have some real special shit to finish Elkins. There's not a lot of guys like this in the UFC because the UFC seems to enjoy cutting them. But, you know, this is the, the fundamental gatekeeper, the guy that you got to keep around. You to, I mean, you can say this guy's a gatekeeper, but sometimes what you really mean is he's a journeyman. You know what I mean? Like this guy, if you can get through Elkins, you're probably going to do something in the division long term. If, if you're not that guy, then you're not getting through Elkins. And we've already seen Bektich have problems, like despite all the caveats that you called out. But... You know, it's the number. It's a trap. Okay, fine. He gets he gets up. Okay, fine. He gets knocked out. Okay, fine. But come on, man. You know what I mean? Like what what happens when he's still scrambling and he's still taking top for for half of the round, every round in the third round. Still, he's still pushing Bektich to the to the cage for half of the time, and it's real close. You know that fight is definitely possible. That fight is definitely possible. Sean Carey, over. We haven't seen. Over or under What's one? That? Over or under one and a half? I the early sub while they're dry because you know that they're going to be all over each other is the is the reason why I didn't take that. But over, I what you wanted to really badly. Man, it's just but, it's so interesting to see a Darren Elkins fight line at one and a half 
in terms of the over-under, especially when Mirsad's last fight against Russell Doan, who's a very tough guy, but he is a bantamweight. It was at two and a half, so I took that under two and a half there. But in this spot, it's a it's a completely different matchup, man. You know, so let, let, well, the let, assumption here is the the assumption here is that the grappling will be instant and inevitable, right? This isn't going to be let's strike a little bit. This is the first time somebody gets a chance to grab somebody. That's what's happening. You know what I mean? So that's what they're talking about is effective sub with that number. But I mean, that's totally that's totally fucking possible. That's totally possible. So let's put the numbers aside. What's your prediction for the fight? I think Bektic probably does outlast in a way closer fight, which has people on the cusp again where they're like, eh, I don't know, is he, is he what he's supposed to be? Like, it's hard to look good against Elkins, and I don't think that, that Bektic is going to look good against Elkins. I think he can probably pull it off of, out of just sheer athleticism at the end of the day, but no, I certainly won't be surprised if Elkins grinds him. We've seen it. We've seen it. You know what I mean? We've we've seen it happen. That's why you can't be that surprised. Albert the Warrior Morales. He's minus 135. The comeback on Andre Sukhamthath is plus 115. Now, uh, we know Albert's a friend of the show, and we know he comes to fight every single time. I mean, in his UFC debut, he goes out there against Alejandro Perez on the border of Mexico. And uh, he gets robbed, and it's a draw. You know, I thought Albert won that fight, 29-28, pretty clearly. But, you know, it was on the border of Mexico. What can you do? Then he takes on Tomas. He got yeah. Then he takes on Tomas Almeida in Brazil. And, look, if you're going to take on Tomas, period, you don't stand and bang with the guy unless you got serious balls. Well, Albert's got serious balls. He went toe-to-toe with Tomas Almeida in Brazil. Look. It's a scary proposition to do that, and most likely, I mean, it's a 50-50 chance when you do that. He was on the wrong end of it, but the good news is he didn't get his life changed. You know, when Anthony Burchak fought Tomas Almeida, he got his life changed. With Albert Morales, you know, he took a couple shots, but he didn't get his life changed, man. I mean, he, he went down to a body shot. Any man will go down to the liver shot, but now he's coming back to, to fight another day. And with Andre, I mean, former CES champion, I've seen him go the full five-round distance. Now, if you type in this guy's name on YouTube, you might see that beautiful flying knee he had of Cody Norby. And if you just watch that highlight, you're like, man, who is this guy? But if you go back and actually watch the fight itself, it was kind of ugly, Sean. You know what I'm saying? I mean, look, he's got... He doesn't really have the best takedown defense, but he's got a very decent get-up game. And uh, his tie striking is pretty cool, too. I mean, look... I've seen one of his fights where he definitely wasn't 135. It, it was like in an it was in a cage and they had MMA gloves, but it was no takedowns. It was like striking only with MMA gloves, and the dude had to have been like 155 pounds. He looked yoked out of his mind. But at 135, he looks kind of different. And I mean, look, he's got good kicks. He's well rounded. He's experienced. I think Albert Morales' UFC experience is what's going to be the difference here. And I see Albert getting his arm raised in his first ever UFC win. So, Albert the Warrior Morales for the victory. You know, I, I'm right on the cusp of, of betting Albert here. The, the thing about this fight, that you know, I look at Andre as a guy who's, striking-wise, it's pretty sharp and it's pretty accurate. And he looks to be thinking out there. I usually like that, but... With no UFC experience, and this is a step-up fight, you got to hope that the guy wants to, you know, 
wants to have that kind of fight with you. And Morales does not want to have that kind of fight with you. He wants to make it ugly. He wants to come after you, and he wants to batter you. And we see time and time again when people want distance and they want a second to, to pinpoint something and hit you with it, the worst thing you can do to those guys is just barnstorm them and give them no space to do that and just make it ugly. It doesn't matter if you land when you get there. It doesn't matter. It's just keep doing that. Keep pressuring them. Keep swinging at them. And then they second think things. They pick up their feet instead of planting and throwing. And then all of a sudden you've got them on the back foot and the momentum is completely swung. Um, I see this fight being that. I just... I have not bet this yet because I do think this Andre dude is, is that sharp. And I do think that Morales has those kinds of openings that can be exploited. But I mean, it's a tough call, but, but overall, I think Morales, if he fights with the style that he has been fighting with, can probably take enough and work that game plan and get that pressure on him and make it ugly and win this fight. Uh, whether that's uh, 29-28 or he eventually gets to him, I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, the pick would be Morales. Another important thing to note is that both of these guys got the call on short notice. Literally, they found out a day before we found out, man. So I got to favor the UFC experience in a situation like that, Sean. Yeah, I, I would think so as well. I, I, I am on the cusp of betting this fight. I want to. Uh, it's just... Some of the kicks are pretty scary, honestly. I want a better price too, man. I'm not gonna lie. I want a better price too, and also like. What is it at now? Is it even? Is pick them right now? It's minus one thirty-five, but the thing is, it opened minus one hundred five for Albert, so I don't have an edge anymore. <laughs> firstly, and, yeah. and secondly, I'd like to get plus money if possible. So, you know, yeah, we'll sit back and let Albert get this victory, man. But dude, the Bear Jew, Paul Craig. He's minus 105, and Tyson Pedro is minus 115. I'm kind of surprised that it's a pick and I'll tell you why, man. Look, when I watch Paul Craig's fights on the regional scene, I remember we, we, we called, uh, you know, we, uh, we picked his last fight together. I mean, on the regional scene, it seemed like he was just the kind of guy that would just randomly pull guard, and, and, you know, he'd be able to get subs because it was against bums in the regional scene, but I was like, there's no way in hell that shit's going to work in the UFC. Well, he comes into the UFC... And when he got on his back, he armbarred uh, Frankenstein De Silva. So shit did work in, in the UFC. But let, let, let's make a you know, let, let's make a, an important note here. He wasn't just flopping to his back and pulling guard. His stand up looked much improved. He had volume in there. And with Tyson Pedro, look, he had a nice submission of Khalil Roundtree. But I mean, we know Khalil's very vulnerable on the ground. And also, Tyson did get dropped in that fight. So there's two ways to look at it. Either you look but at Craig, it. Craig also did. Did Craig get dropped? Craig I, don't, also did. I don't recall that. Yes, that. Yes, that's how we ended up there. Really, is that he got dropped? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, shit. If Sean's right, which I assume you are, then both guys got dropped. But the thing with Pedro here is he got dropped right away. So there's two ways to look at it. You either look at it like. You know, he can be got to, or you can look at it like, well, he got back up. He's got plenty of heart, and then he finished the fight. So it, it, it's one or the other. But the thing with with uh, Paul Craig is I actually saw more ring time with him. You know, I saw that he can take shots, come back, give shots, and then finish a fight. 
With Pedro, I didn't see enough. And not only that, I mean, before that, he's only had four pro fights on the Australian regional scene. I understand he's at Greg Jackson's, but there's hundreds of fighters at Greg Jackson's. That doesn't mean that he's going to get the specialized attention that he needs. And I feel like Paul Craig's the more experienced guy. He's more well-rounded. He's more crafty. I feel like he's going to get it done here, man. And I was I was uh, kind of surprised by the line, man. I am I am not impressed with with Craig. Um, you know, going into his fights and researching him, I I see a sloppy guy who's who's kind of getting wins over people that it, most people should beat. You know, uh, and on the other side, Pedro, we're talking like an Australian grappler, more or less. I mean, he is. Do you know how old he is? This isn't a trick question. I actually don't know. Tyson Pedro or Paul Craig? Pedro. He's young, right? Yeah, I think he's like 24, 25. Right. Okay. So I know that he's been surrounded by fighting his whole life. I think his father owns a promotion over there, uh, which you can read into um, multiple ways. Uh, (laughs) But if he grew up around it, I I think that's probably a good thing. Um, He's certainly athletic. Uh, he, he certainly looks the part. Uh, he did pull off a good win, or is it? You know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, just like confusing to look back at Frankenstein and go, did Paul Craig pull off a good good win, or did he? You know what I'm saying? Now that we know what we know, so it it's really tough. I know the archetype of Australian grappler has not gone far. You know what I'm saying? Who's the Australian grappler? Sotiropoulos? Is that the guy? Okay, well... Dan Kelly. I can't think of... This Dan, has Dan Kelly surpassed Sotiropoulos? Oh, no. Um, okay, so the height of your archetype is, is either Sotiropoulos or Dan Kelly. So enough said on that, on that idea. So, uh, you know, it sounds like Tyson Pedro is about two wins for being, away, being the, the best Australian grappler ever. Um, this is impossible to call because we don't know what Tyson Pedro is really capable of. Uh, like I said, he seems to he seems to show it. You know what I'm saying? Athletic, young, etc. He's got a, a winnable fight in front of him, but we don't know if he goes yellow if if he hits Craig and Craig, you know, gets dropped but still stays fighting. We don't know what happens if it goes later. Et cetera, et cetera. And we don't know if the athleticism will be too much for Craig and he just barnstorms him and takes him out. It's, this is really impossible to call. Uh, if you're looking to bet this, I don't know why, but I would take the dog. Um, as far as picks like Toutmaster, that kind of situation, I'd take the dog. Um, shit. Uh, I, as far as a pick for me, I will go against Pedro just because I don't like Australians fighting out of Australia, or not fighting there, taking a trip back and forth, training here at halftime, training there, whatever. I don't, I don't like that situation. So uh, I'll apprehensively pick the Bear Jew. Marcin Tibura, he's minus 150. The comeback on Luis Henrique is plus 130. And I got to tell you what, man, I am impressed with Marcin Tibura. You know, I did fade him in that fight against Tim Johnson, but he comes back against uh victor pesta man that head kick was nasty dude and that's what all the hype was about man but the thing is with luis henrique we know that he's the kind of guy that wants to wrestle you i mean you saw his fight against enganu even though he got knocked out with a vicious uppercut he was still able to land a takedown or two in that fight and that's exactly what he's going to look to do here 
against Tibura. So now the question is, Sean, has Tibura closed those gaps in his game? Now let's say he's made some improvements there. Is Luis Henrique's wrestling on the level of Tim Johnson? I don't believe it is, man. But at the same time, you know, this is uh, the Euro grappler versus the Brazilian, man. So, you know, I, I hate to be, you know, lame and say if it stays standing, Marcin's got it. And if it goes to the ground, Luis has got it. But I really feel that way, man. I mean, you know, sometimes it just is what it is. Like, and, you know, let's look at the heavyweight division real quick. Like, Tybora, Henrique, Nganu, uh, you know, Pesta until, you know, recently, oops, uh, <laughs> Big Madoff, like, Who? there's something going on. We're getting, we're getting guys. And I don't, I don't love it when two guys who could be around later fight each other this early. But if Tybora can keep up the kind of striking that he showed last time, which in my, in, like, in my opinion, that was pretty special. It just wasn't the finish. It was the fluidity. He's just, he's that smaller heavyweight archetype. He's fast. He's got good footwork. Uh, I like that. I like the way he looked there. I saw something different there out of him. Henrique, on the other hand, you know, we really don't know what his grappling is about, but he actually showed a pre pretty decent chin before he got knocked out. He's young as fuck. He's like 23 or something like that. He's huge. Uh, we've seen Tybora have problems with this kind of style. Uh, it's another, you know, this card is full of them. It's another tough one to call. It, it, it is, unfortunately, like you said, it's, it's Henrique drags on him enough, he's probably going to win a decision. If he can't get to him or if he starts to get tired too early, Tybura is probably going to work him and knock him out late. Um, I don't know, like... Looking at these two guys, I like them both, but I think that I saw a big enough jump up in Tybora his last time I'm out to assume that's going to continue. So that assumption is going to lead me to assume that he does get out of trouble early against Henrique and eventually knock him out. So I like Tybora here. And that's also a, a good number on him. Keyword assume, because I, I assume he's going to win as well. You know what I mean? And dude... Amanda Cooper is minus 120, and Cynthia Calvillo is plus 100. Now, real quick, look, I got nothing against Amanda Cooper or Cynthia, but what the fuck is up with these 2-1 fighters in the UFC, but then Nikita Krylov, they won't re-sign a guy like that? Girls, dude, no reason. No reason to have this fight on TV. Why? H have it, Why? Have what, it in Invicta. What is Invicta. the upside of either one of them? Put it in Invicta. Yes, get it off my television. What are you doing? Well, it's on Fight Pass because I, I know I know some fans about to give you shit. It's on Fight Pass, but yeah, get it off my fucking U UFC card. Yeah. All right. <laughs> get it off my phone, then. Whatever you want to say, just <laughs> just stop. Okay, this is not UFC, people. Stop it. I, you know, and sometimes I'll pretend like I don't know who girl fighters are, just because I don't like watching them. But I don't know who these girls are. I know who Amanda Bobby Cooper is. I don't know who the other girl is. I know I wasn't touching this, so I just didn't even look her up at all. I don't even know who she is. Where does she come from? According to her last name, Calvillo, I mean, I, I assume she's Brazilian, but I could be wrong, man. But look, here's the thing. Amanda Bobby Cooper, even though she's like two and one or some shit, green as hell, she's tough and gritty, man. I got to give it to her. She's very tough and gritty. And what I've heard about Cynthia 
is that she's a decent wrestler. So, you know, word on the street, Cynthia might be able to grind her out for three, but I'm going to go with Amanda's UFC experience, and uh, that's about it. That's all I got to say about that. Now, dude, you ready for the Battle of the Jobbers? Because we got Mark Godbeer. He's minus 145. The comeback on Daniel Spitz is plus 125. Um, which uh, which journeyman's going to get his arm raised here, Sean? Spitz. He's going to uh, – I mean – he he said in an interview the perfect thing. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be taking this guy down. I'm going to be taking this guy down and beating him up. You know what happens when you try to take uh, Godbeer down and beat him up? You take you him down, take and, him beat down him up. and beat him up. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So can he survive whatever uh, happens to him on the way to taking Godbeer down and, and, and beating him up? Probably. Probably can so once he gets there, he'll take him down. He'll get on top of him. And, uh, you know, if a 205-pound boxer can submit you, I'm sure this big motherfucker can submit you. So, you know, uh, like this is a bet all the way. If I tra- You know what I'm saying? But this is exactly not a bet. You've got two awful heavyweights. You don't really know. Well, you know a bit about Godbeer because he's been around forever, but you don't know anything really about the other guy. You don't know how he's going to show up, but on paper, this is a takedown and smash all day. So if that happens and it's real simple and I didn't bet it, I'll be mad, but I am, I'm not betting it. But uh, yeah, God, we are no, no takedown defense, no sub defense seems real simple. Yeah, I got Spitz as well, and it's not just because his name is Daniel, okay, Sean? I, I, you know, firstly, yeah. I, I hear the guy is six foot six, but he likes to take dudes down to the ground. We've seen not just in Godbeer's UFC debut, but back when he fought in that other organization, fucking Chet Congo was taking this dude down, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to go with the new guy, Daniel Spitz. So, Sean, we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Sean Carey Tattoo, what is the fight to watch for UFC 209, man? The fight to watch is, is Overeem versus Hunt. The reason why that's the fight to watch is is because I think uh, Mark Hunt's coming from a special place. We know his situation with the lawsuit. We know how mad he is. And uh, like I said earlier, like they're they are fucking up by if they wanted to eliminate him, they give him Curtis Blades. They give him somebody who will lay on top, and they're not. They're giving him somebody who's going to get knocked out, who's gotten knocked out fifty billion times, who's coming off of a of a totally unconscious knockout. I, I think this is going to be an aggressive Mark Hunt, not a patient Mark Hunt, and I think he eventually chases down and gets to him. And what makes it fun is because I assume that Overeem will try clinch, will try takedown. His clinch always looks nasty. I don't think it gets rid of Hunt, but it's going to look painful. That's always fun. And then... You know, if he turns his back and runs and it's weird like the Stipe fight, that's fun because it's weird. And if he stops short and and blast hunt with something, that's fun too. But I I think no matter what happens, there's going to be violence and there's going to be blood here. So as far as entertainment value, yeah, Overeem Hunt, fight to watch. You know, aside from the main event and the co-main event, my fight to watch is Rashad Evans versus Dan Kelly. Look, we all remember where we were when Rashad Evans knocked out Chuck Liddell. But as you know, man, you know, there's that window of opportunity. There's a fighter's prime. And when fighters go past their prime, bad shit tends to happen. And with a guy like Daniel Kelly, 
I mean, you, you, if you just look at him, you're like, oh, he's got the dad body. He's going to get his ass whooped. But the dude keeps defying the odds. He's been the underdog in all six of his UFC fights. And this is about to be the seventh. And he's won five of those six fights as the underdog. So I'm really curious to see, you know, Rashad's dropping the middleweight. We know that dropping 20 pounds this late in your career historically hasn't been that good. But what if it's a, what if it's a career resurgence for him? And at the same token, what if Daniel Kelly gets that signature win? So for that reason, I believe Kelly versus Evans is your fight to watch. So, Sean, who is the fighter to watch at UFC 209, man? Fighter to watch, is that's easy. That's Khabib, okay? Because when Khabib wins this fight, and he does so in a dominant fashion from top in a way where you're like, wow, I didn't think he could do that to Tony. Like, he just, he basically just does it to everybody. After he does that, and, and he, his hand is raised victorious, he's going to call out Connor, and the whole world is going to be wanting to see that fight. Because half of everybody is going to be saying, Oh, he can't do that to Connor. He's not going to get close enough. He's going to get sniped on the way in. Easy knockout. The other half is going to be thinking, all it takes is one takedown, that's the rest of the round. Then the next round, one takedown, that's the rest of the round. If he could do it to Tony and stay on top and crush, he could do it to everyone. And, and him looking good in this fight will make him versus Connor the biggest fight available. That's what I'm looking forward to, is Khabib showing up big. My fighter to watch is Tony Ilkukui Ferguson. Look, every fighter has to take that first loss, and when Khabib either gets knocked out, tapped out, or stopped due to cuts you know, via those elbows, and he finally has that first loss under his record, and he's 24-1, and people are going to be like, Jesus, Tony Ferguson really is the boogeyman. And then when it gets when it comes time to Connor versus Tony Ferguson, I mean that's such an intriguing fight, man. I mean, because Tony's well rounded. He's got the boxing, he's got the wrestling, he's got the jujitsu, he's got everything. He's not just a well he's not just a one dimensional guy like Khabib. Khabib's amazing at that one dimension, but he's one dimensional. And this is 2017 in a UFC championship fight. So for that reason, my fighter to watch is Tony Okukui Ferguson. Well, Sean Carey, we did it, man. Another card. Our predictions have been given. Now we're going to see what happens on uh, on Saturday night because, man, the stakes could not be higher. So, Sean Carey Tattoo, let them know where to follow you. It's Sean Carey Tattoo on Instagram, Sean, T- Sean Carey Tattoo on Twitter. That's all I got. Make sure you follow me at Best Fight Picks. Go to bestfightpicks.com for the play. Subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Make sure you hook up those five-star reviews because, look, We're trying to break into that top 15. Just like your favorite fighters want to be in the top 15 and eventually hold that belt, we want to be in the top 15 of the iTunes rankings as well. So help us out. The way you can help us do that is if you enjoy this podcast, hook up that five-star review, write a couple words about how Sean looks funny, and uh, and we're going to climb those ranks before you know it. So until the next time, let's cash these bets.